I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, folks. Um, This week, for our Feel Good Friday episode, we're going to shake things up a bit. It's going to be a little less um, goofy, a little less uh, juvenile, a little less less silliness. You know, we're going to we're going to keep we're going to tuck away the silly willy and we're going to bring out a little bit more of the the real talk. However, we are going to keep this in the the realm of feel good Friday, because I feel like by the end of this episode, you're going to feel really, really good. Uh, This Friday's episode, we sat down to talk with Dr. Timothy Walker. Timothy Walker is a psychotherapist who specializes in in mindfulness. And the original intention was to have like a 20, 30-minute conversation um, that, again, we would tag on to one of our normal Friday feel-good episodes. Uh, But this conversation ended up going a little bit longer um, because it was very evident that the three of us really needed to hear this, especially in the, the time that we're currently going through especially with uh, all of the the horrible news that came out of Nova Scotia this past weekend. So I encourage you to listen to this week's episode um, in a, a sort of position where you can really sit and be present with it. Um, you know, so if you're driving your car, great. If you're at home, maybe just post up on the couch or in a comfy chair. Um, maybe you're listening in bed. Nice and cozy under the sheets. That's great too. Um, but I, I think that Dr. Timothy Walker had some really incredible and, and important things to say. And, and I hope this touches you as much as it touched myself and Taylor and Brian. And um, at the end of this episode, uh, you will hear the uh, 15 minute meditation that Dr. Walker led uh, that we released this past Wednesday. Uh, it will be sans music, so just as was when we heard it. Okay, without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Dr. Timothy Walker. Uh, well, this, you know what? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this conversation off with um, with this. I I I feel like this conversation with you, Timothy, could not be coming in at a a a more important time. Um, and I'm speaking I, I'm speaking personally, uh, but but I think I don't think I'm alone in 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 that sentiment in that feeling. Um, this, you know, we're in the we're in the middle of a, obviously a global pandemic, which is um, 
a bit of a tough time for for a lot of people. Um, but but in particular here in Nova Scotia, uh, we just recently went through a very very tragic and very um, intense um, experience. And um, you are your background is that you're a counselor and and a uh, psychotherapist. Um, who specializes in integrating mindfulness into your practice, correct? That's right. I think uh, a lot of us right now are in need of some mindfulness, and uh, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts and to talk to you about your practice um, because as uh, the three of us, Brian Taylor and myself, uh, as yoga instructors, we, we're, we're all pretty familiar with the importance of, of being mindful and, and having a practice of mindfulness. Um, but having said that, it's really easy to forget that, especially yeah. when things kind of get out of hand, like they are currently right now. Yeah. Um, uh, how about, to, to start it off, why don't you just let us know, and maybe our listeners know, um, what, what does that mean? integrating mindfulness into the the practice of a, a psychotherapist? Well, it's something that's very uh, common right now, but I actually uh, trained back in the early 80s from 80 to 82 and got my master's in 82 in contemplative psychotherapy at a place called Naropa University. So right from the beginning, I don't think I would have been interested in psychology unless it was connected with meditation. Because Mm. I first went to Naropa to study uh, poetry with Allen Ginsberg and all the Beat Generation poets. And when I found that they, I I received meditation instruction as soon as I arrived, uh, spring of 1980. And I actually started before that, 79, I went to a poetry reading there as well. But... uh, I received meditation instruction and it was so helpful for me. I started a practice two, three hours a day and it was very, very helpful for me. So that when I discovered that the poets were all kind of into drugs and alcohol uh, and I sort of removed myself from that and decided to take the master's program in contemplative psychotherapy, which included a full three-month retreat where we do a full datun, which is a month of meditation, say, nine to ten hours a day wow in addition to then two more months of intensifying emotions using this particular system that Chogyam Trumpa developed of of uh, these all rooms in all one color and then you take a certain posture in that room and that intensifies either your anger or your jealousy or your your passion your sexual passion or it increases your sense of inadequacy or hopeful uh, helplessness. So we had these different colored rooms and you intensify the emotion and then you meditate a lot and you're able to work with the emotion from a very deep personal level. So that's why I uh, became very interested in that and I ended up writing my PhD thesis on that at, at Dalhousie in 1995. So Con- the whole contemplative approach. So for me, I've, I've been using my own meditation to do my own work for f- more than 40 years. Hmm. And, and that is really the essence of then how I can bring myself. It's really that you're, you're walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Hmm. There's a feeling right. of, of having practiced. And I've been on many, many uh, retreats for three months and for 
two, two months, a month, two weeks, many solo retreats. Tim, I'm, Brian, I'm, Brian, I'm, is, Brian, is it raining in, on your van right now? It's uh, a little bit of hail, a gentle it's, hail. It, it, it's it's, it's very really nice. adding to soothing. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> it's adding to the the meditation that I, will be this conversation. <laughs> where is that? Where are you? I'm currently because it's bright in, uh, sunny here. <laughs> I'm currently in Chelsea, Quebec, in my Westphalia, uh, outside of my uh, girlfriend's parents' house. Um, wow. Where I'm where in, a, I'm, in a van down by the river. Is where I'm like uh, a hold up mm-hmm. for quarantine. But um, Tim, you, there's a lot to unpack from that that uh, kind of overview of of your life and journey through contemplative uh, psychotherapy up to this point. But um, you said something that I I really I'm really curious about. Um, you talked about meditation for you know up to nine to ten hours a day for a month. Um, I did a, a, a yoga teacher training in India where meditation was a part of um, what we were learning. We had this practice of meditation for 30 minutes every day, and this was over a, a, the course of six weeks. And for me, I, I didn't have a very deep practice of meditation before I started that training, um, but my experience and journey over the course of those six weeks um, with discovering the art of you know, for me sitting still for 30 minutes and just, you know, exploring the ways that my mind started to wander, um, was extremely fascinating that, that evolution over the six weeks period. Um, what was your experience like in, in that, uh, 30 day period where you were actually meditating in some way, shape or form for up to nine or 10 hours a day? Well, it's challenging. (laughs) Uh, The first, actually I I did a, a weekend before that and that that first day when I sat all day I thought my shoulders were gonna like go over my head you know <laughs> the quality of the pain some kind of old habitual uh, tightness in my shoulders was really triggered and I was trying to sit up straight and do it perfectly and be a good Zen person <laughs> and uh, so a lot of physical I've had over my life a lot of physical issues with meditation and finding the right posture and, you know, subtle changes and so forth. But I remember that pain in my shoulders. But nevertheless, I was so excited about doing this because I'd read so much and I was and I found it so helpful right away. So in terms of working with your mind, you see everything. And really, the phrase that we often say is meditation is making friends with yourself. Because, you know, when you really listen to a friend and you really give them your full attention, it doesn't matter what they're going through, you end up just loving them because you're just, you're extending yourself unconditionally to someone. And when do we have the opportunity to do that for ourselves, right? So really, Mm -hmm. that's the essence of meditation is that you're really accessing a deeper state of love for yourself. And, And then that also provokes a lot of wisdom and insight, um, Tim, I'm I'm interested in just um, uh, I'm interested a little bit more in your in your back in your backstory a little bit. I have a, um, did you were, are you from here or or did you or did you um, or did you come to Nova Scotia when the when the that Buddhist movement yes. uh, came yes. here as well? I don't know if you're familiar with Jim and Margaret at, at Windhorse. Yes, Island, I know them very. Very yeah, good friends of mine. They're yeah. they're they're great friends of mine. We we lead yeah. um, we lead retreats there all the time. Um, uh, what was that experience like? What was that experience like in that movement where, <clears throat> um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not well versed in, in exactly how everything went down there, but I know that there was a movement from from Colorado to Nova Scotia for 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 some reasons in that Buddhist community. Yeah, I grew up in Colorado, so I found it kind of legitimately. I went to school in Maine at, for my undergraduate, but then I came back to Colorado and ended up at Naropa, and I became part of that community and a student mm-hmm. of Chogyam Trumpa, just like Jim and Margaret. Yeah, and he was a very compelling teacher. It was. There was a kind of charisma that filled the entire city of Boulder that you couldn't ignore. And uh, so, you know, when I first met him, I was questioning, hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But then over time, it was undeniable. You couldn't resist it. And a lot of the other people were so impressive that because I was doing dance and theater and poetry, and I was just so impressed with the people that studied with him in terms of their attention and, and how they were. So then I, I actually got married in 84, and my partner was Canadian. And so she really wanted to move to Nova Scotia, and that was the mandate. That's what uh, our teacher had said, that basically we were just reading a prophecy the other day that he had back in 1980, where he said that the United States is going to get more and more kind of right-wing and problematic and outliers, like people practicing Buddhism, is going to become more and more problematic. And he said there's going to be some real problems here. So he had investigated, one way or another, Nova Scotia and found it to be kind of the perfect place for us to form what he wanted to create as an enlightened society. So that became very compelling for somebody who's you know 26 years old and wants to create, wants to live in a community of people cultivating good qualities and a mm-hmm. sense of kindness and love for each other and. So I was really excited, <clears throat> and it was challenging to move here. I, I, was, I took a year in Boston studying family therapy and then moved to Nova Scotia in uh, 1986, mm-hmm. June of 86. <clears throat> I mean, that's yeah. a fascinating, uh, you know, and, and the reason I wanted to ask is because of, uh, because of knowing a little bit about Jim and Margaret's backstory. I, I, find yeah. that, I just find that, that, period of, uh, that period very fascinating and how there yeah. was... This community in 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 Colorado that eventually made their way um, made their way to Nova Scotia and yeah, and, some and people the, the land is so beautiful and yeah, um, uh, moving kind of towards um, um, some of the things that are going on, some of the things that are going on um, right now and in relation to I think especially what what mindfulness um, how mindfulness can be so can be so incredibly helpful at a time like this. Um, you know, we're moving into what we're just passing a month. We're, we're a little over a month in, in the condition that they'll kind of lock down <clears throat> quarantine conditions that we've been in. And, um, and, and I feel like we're sort of, we're sort we're, we're, I don't want to call it a milestone, but, but what I, but I mean, like we're getting to a point where, where we're sort of entering into a new normal sort of phase where things are either maybe things for some people are getting a little less weird and more normalized or they're, or, or they're putting the pressure on, um, for the people that are kind of going in the direction of getting a little stir crazy, it's harder to handle. Um, I mean, it it applies to everybody, but especially to the people that are finding it maybe a little bit more harder to handle the, the being inside all the time, the, the, the lack of social interaction. What can, 
what's your perspective on how on how practicing mindfulness on a daily basis or or, or regularly can do for those people well or for everybody i guess i think i think before i jump into that i want to address what happened this weekend mm-hmm. please a little bit because for me right now my heart is just like a vast empty ocean mm-hmm. there's a real quality of within this context of our COVID-19 self-isolation, then this incredibly gruesome and uh, just terrifying uh, murders have happened in Nova Scotia. I don't know what the current count is right now, but I think that that is a, somehow it's, it, it heightens the situation even more. You know, mm-hmm. we never expected that to happen here. We feel that we're in a very safe place. And, you know, we point the finger down at the states and all the gun violence. And and we I, I must say that I think I was a little bit smug thinking that that would never happen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, me, yeah. Myself included. Yeah. And so in that context, I think we're we're really tenderized and uh, our hearts are cracked even further open. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I was saying before yeah. we started recording, I was saying to the guys that, you know, yesterday was, um, yesterday was a really hard day. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> a global pandemic uh, is a traumatic event. To be to be a part of that is that that is trauma. Yes. And then and then. And then all of a sudden to be um, to be a part of something uh, to be a part of something else that is that seems even more traumatic yeah. than than what is already happening and and what is already happening is a lot and then and to, so to all of a sudden home. have to go through that it's just it really it really is like um, it's quite overwhelming. Yes. And, and I, I, uh, I don't generally, sh- I don't generally struggle <clears throat> with, with things like this. You know, I, I, I feel, I feel as though, um, I feel like a lot of pride in the fact that, especially with like the, with, with COVID, I feel a lot of pride in the fact that like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to handle it. I'm handling this really well. I'm going to be a rock for every, everyone else around me. And uh, you know, I feel like I'm doing a lot of good to like help, help, help people manage their, their, their emotions and, and see mm-hmm. that there's, there's positivity and there's light within this, this experience, even though it can be really hard. And then when something like that over the weekend happens, it just, it, um, it's, I just, I can't, I mean, I can't even, I can't even, um, yeah. formulate the thought that I'm trying to get out right now because I'm, I just feel so, so shook up. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if there's anything that you wanted to touch on specifically based off of what what has happened over the weekend. Well, I think that it's the same for for both situations. I think you know one of the main teachings because I I practice Tibetan Buddhism and if you're familiar with Pema Chudron, she's a great teacher that comes to Nova Scotia. Uh, she's a an American who became a nun back in the 70s, and she's written many many books. But there's a she puts out a teaching that is very much part of the Tibetan Buddhist teaching is that when there's difficult times, 
and painful emotions, rather than fleeing from it, we need to go right into it. Mm -hmm. And this is a real basic kind of premise of the mindfulness approach that John Kabat-Zinn teaches with people who are in chronic pain and that we teach in our cancer programs. I've been teaching for 20 years with Dr. Rutledge, the Skills for Healing Weekend Retreats, and we have our Spirituality and Podcasts, Spirituality and Cancer Podcasts. But the principle that, and I put it one way in a, a video that we did on uh, brain tumors, that in the darkness is the light. So it's by going deeper into the darkness to realize that we have the resources within, that we can challenge ourselves because the, there's a, a very common tendency to try to distract ourselves or try to become, uh, to run away from mm -hmm. things that are painful. Mm. But part of the, the main insight that the Buddha had was that when something is difficult and painful and life, you know, has a lot of suffering in it. If you try to avoid it, you'll make it worse. Mm. And if you go straight into it, you find that you actually have the capacity and the resources to go through it. Mm. You know? I remember, I don't know if you're familiar, <clears throat> I know, Jerry, you are with um, Michael Stone. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I attended a talk with him years ago, and I remember him, um, him talking about I think I think it was specific to yoga practice, but I mean it it, it was applicable to to basically anything. Everything. Was was um, was you know stop trying to transcend the discomfort that you're feeling in a pose, or or the discomfort that you're feeling emotionally when something like this these shootings happen, or the pandemic, or being stuck inside. Like instead of trying to transcend the feeling or the discomfort, meet the discomfort, go into it. Let it, let it pass through you, assess it, see how it feels, be with it, breathe with it and, and become more familiar with it become yes. almost like becoming friends with it. Um, and, uh, that always, um, that was one thing. I mean, Michael, a lot of stuff from Michael Stone stuck has stuck with me over the years, but that was one thing in particular that I, that, um, that I always come back to and that I found so, so valuable because we have such a tendency in 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 many sectors of society of 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 uh, of promoting the idea of no, I don't feel that way, or no, that doesn't affect me, or um, pushing things away instead of instead of really being with it. And something that we talk about a lot in the podcast is vulnerability and how Im yes. how important it is to be vulnerable and to be familiar with vulnerability, and that. It can. It is oftentimes the greatest show of strength, and and not and not and not the the sign of weakness. Yeah. Um, that's a, something that always stuck out with me. Yeah, but that is a journey to become comfortable with your own vulnerability and become comfortable or tolerant, mm. accepting of your own pain and fear and anxiety and depression and whatever it is that you're going through, to touch it fully means that you actually are accessing the intelligence that is in that state of mind. Mm. The whole point is that there's <coughs> your your being is filled with this kind of intelligence. But when we break away from the suffering, then we're not synchronized with reality. 
and then we're not learning what we need to learn, but we're disconnected mm -hmm. from the road that we're walking on. But when you actually pay attention to the exact experience that you're having while you're having it in the mindfulness way, then you're learning about each bump on the road. It's mm -hmm. you're, you're in touch with the territory and it teaches you what you need to learn. So, for, for, for people who don't have a practice of yoga or a practice of mindf mindfulness, what, um, what, like, what does that mean to, to, to not, to not avoid and to really, really sit with the, the feelings that come up? Like, what, what does that look like for, for someone who might not have ever experienced that in their entire life? Well, I think there's many stages. I mean, we do have to, to acknowledge that we have a culture that is, um, you know, addicted to entertainment and to distracting ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing is just to kind of acknowledge <laughs> that to sort of it's it's like any addiction. You have to kind of, you know, stand up and say, hi, I'm Tim. I'm an alcoholic. You know, mm -hmm. you have to actually acknowledge it. And if you don't do that, then it it's it's in you unconsciously slip back into that. Right. Mm -hmm. So the first thing to, is to acknowledge that we are actually so disconnected from our own personal deep heartfelt experience and so when you first acknowledge that and then you have a, a journey you want to do this you have to actually be convinced that it's the right thing to do because otherwise people won't find the commitment to sit or to do their meditation or to do their yoga so there's there's a, a period of study and learning and listening to other people's teachings you know the podcasts of uh, Tara Brock are fantastic but learning about the the logic of this is very important and then the, you draw closer to it and then it's a practice you mm -hmm. know and it's a practice from moment to moment and in meditation it really one of the first things that you need to confront is your own tendency to judge and to label your experience as good or bad you know because mm -hmm. that in itself is a conceptual kind of a filter mm -hmm. that we use to usually causes us to run away from painful experiences or to grasp on to pleasurable experiences. And when we do that, we're kind of creating this artificial virtual world that we live in. So mm -hmm. one of the first things, like John Kabat-Zinn, the person who popularized mindfulness, uh, you know, his first attitude of mindfulness is non-judgment. So just observing one's own mind for five or ten minutes and observing how many times in five or ten minutes you judge your experience. A hundred times, you know. Mm -hmm. We're constantly, I don't like this, that pain in my back, this thing, that thing. I, I don't like this. Usually it's I don't mm -hmm. want this. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. and, and I like to say that that's like the, the, the smallest atom of aggression. When we reject reality we're being aggressive because reality is here to teach us it has it's got all the intelligence that we need when we just meet it fully but when we don't meet it and we judge it and we try to get rid of it then we're throwing away the lessons we're not connecting mm -hmm. with the truth so really paying attention to judgment is so being mindful of your judging mind and he says the first thing is to recognize to not judge yourself for judging because it's such an old habit pattern 
that mm. we've been trained into. Uh, sometimes I call these mind viruses that we've been trained into, you know, for thousands of years. And at the same time, it's a personal habit. And so the first thing is just to observe oneself. And the first thing you often observe is how much you're judging your experience and how much you're trying to get away from your experience. So that's really the first step is it's like diagnosing the problem in medicine. You know, you can't actually get the cure unless you know what it is that you're curing. Mm-hmm. And I, I would urge, I would urge people on the, 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 it can be so challenging to, it's such a, it, it, it requires such a habit, such a, such a, it's such a, a challenging habit. It can be such a challenging habit to form something that I often go over um, a lot when I uh, lead our yoga teacher trainings is, and, and a question that comes up a lot in, in, in relation to yoga practices, you know, how come there's so many aspects of yoga, but what you get predominantly is yoga studios and the yoga studios teach postures. And there's like some meditation and pranayama breathing practices and stuff mixed into that. But if you ask the average person on the street, what happens at a yoga studio, you go in, you lay down a mat and you stretch your, stretch out your body. That's probably the, the, the overarching understanding of what a yoga studio is. But there's so many aspects to yoga and meditation is one of them and mindfulness is one of them. Um, but the body is so tangible. You go in, you stretch your body, you're done that hour, you feel it right there. You can get a tangible result right there. I think you can do that with meditation as well, but it's, but it's not quite as immediate and it's not quite right. as tangible. It's a little bit more under the surface. Right. And so that, that benefit that you get from, your, from a <laughs> mindfulness practice or a meditative practice is... When things aren't in kind of going back to what you said about being like an entertainment addicted society, when that when that benefit or that that um, reward isn't so tangible, isn't so obvious immediately, it becomes harder and harder to develop the habit of going back to that practice. Mm -hmm. And and so I guess so I started that off saying I would urge people I would urge people to lower their expectations about what they're getting out of especially the beginnings of this practice. Oh, yeah. To, to go into it expecting, <laughs> kind of expecting to be frustrated and oh, to yeah. be a little bit fed up with it. And like you said, the pains in your back and your knees and finding the right posture, let alone the stuff that's going on in that can, that can come up for your mind that can be so frustrating. And we need to let go of some of the, ex, of a lot of the expectations that we have of, of coming out of your very first meditation, some sort of enlightened (laughs) being. That's Um, right. And, you know, I know in my personal practice, I've been practicing, you know, meditation and yoga for 10 years now. And, and even as somebody who teaches yoga and can, and teaches meditation, I go in and out of those habits in varying degrees all the time. Constantly. And it's, it's, it is, you know, and it is hard to even notice when you've, sometimes you don't notice you've fallen out of it until you have some experience that really awakens that realization or you have an interaction where, you know, you get way more frustrated than you might ever have, have done before. And you realize, Oh shit, my, my medit my mindfulness practice has slipped a little bit because yeah. I'm reacting this way. And right. a year ago I would have, wouldn't have reacted that way. And I, and that's because I was committed to doing this on a daily basis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it I brings would, up I, something that I think is, is important around this whole time of, of isolation and COVID-19 is Mm. uh, my teacher taught that boredom is a very powerful uh, evolutionary force. And that he talked about, you can have 
hot boredom or irritation and anxiety and not liking it, judging it and wanting to get rid of it. Or you can have what he called cool boredom, where you accept that you're bored and you lean into that experience of not having any entertainment. And what that does, it begins to open up your curiosity and your intelligence. If you think about it, like when kids have no toys and you know you let them loose out in the forest, they find little sticks and they build houses and they do the trees and they create all kinds of, and they start talking to the fairies and they become very, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's something about not having that constant spoon-fed entertainment that actually provokes and opens up our true underlying intelligence, especially that intelligence about sort of knowing yourself and knowing where you are on the path, knowing, being honest with yourself. You know, that's a a particular kind of vulnerability is being totally honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. We, we kind of um, have been speaking quite a bit at length uh, of, of what mindfulness looks like um, on an individual level in terms of like a practice and an exploration of, of self. Um, during this global pandemic and in light of the recent events that happened uh, in Nova Scotia, um, you know, one of the things that brings me a lot of comfort is this like feeling of solidarity um, and mm. connection on like a more global scale. Um, what role does mindfulness play in the way that we interact um, with each other? Well, I, I often teach a kind of uh, social mindfulness and has a lot to do with listening. I think that, you know, I've had some great Zoom calls with my kids and with some dear old friends from all over. It's, it's interesting how you're connecting with friends from a long time in your life during this period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I often feel that learning how to just stay present to someone else's energy, no matter what it is that they're talking about or going through. And as a counselor, that's what we're trained to do. And then to be able to reflect it back and, and to really give that person an opportunity to, to go deeper with where they're going and what they're feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and, and I do a lot of work with couples, and that's one issue also during this time. I think that, you know, there's mm. the whole increase in domestic, domestic violence and that kind of thing. Mm. And, um, I, I do find that a lot of the couples that I've worked with over many, many years <clears throat> find that on the weekends when there's no structure and there's a lot of open time, that's when they'll have a huge fight. Mm. So My all, friend the other day said, uh, he just, we were FaceTiming, and he just said, Hey, so what's been the dumbest thing you've thought about with Kyla? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you know, you, there's a, there's that time and that space, and, and yeah. You, and you so, so again, the 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 challenge with like meditation and the and life is how to deal with the open <laughs> space, because what we do with open space is we project ourselves into it, and when we do that projection, uh, if it has a lot of our neurotic past issues then it will come back at us. And so learning how to cope with empty space is a lot of what the whole Tibetan path is about. There's a sense of when you breathe out, you breathe out into a wide open, clear blue sky and let go and let go and let go. And 
doing that is a familiarization with open space. And we're terrified of open space. In, in terms and, of that open space, is it important to, um, you know, prioritize your own inner working on, on, on the own exploration of yourself before, like if, if you're projecting into that open space and it's causing this um, confrontation between you and your partner or somebody that you might be sharing a space with, um, is that because, is that work that needs to be done with yourself first or is well, that, you know, something that is maybe something that needs to be worked on together? I think it's both. I mean, I always, if, if someone comes into my practice and says, they start talking about their partner on and on and on. <laughs> and I say, well, that's really work that we need to do. That person's not here. I can work mm -hmm. with you, but I can't work with them. And likewise, when I'm working with a couple, I always say the very first rule is, you cannot change the other person. You can only change yourself. But the magic is that we're in a relationship. So when you change yourself, because if it's, it's a system, that will actually change the other person. But the, the power that you have is towards working on yourself. So what you ask is, you know, it is good to do your own work. It all begins with knowing yourself. But then in context of a relationship that becomes of course probably a hundred times more challenging yeah. you know it's one thing t to sit on your cushion and hold a good posture and work with your mind going off the monkey mind but then when you're working with your own monkey mind and your partner's monkey mind it's it's uh you know monkey mind squared and then <laughs> it kind of goes back to what taylor was mentioning earlier too like you, i think like it's not something that's instantaneous too. You don't go and work on work on yourself, no. and then all of a sudden your your partner responds to that immediately. And you know, no. we, like yeah. I think of my relationship with my mom, and she she treats me oftentimes a lot like like I'm still a a kid. And she's like, well, I you know if I if I do this, then you're gonna respond this way. And it's like, well, if we you know allow each other to if we allow ourselves to see each other. Um, as people who are growing and changing and ever evolving, then mm. then maybe try seeing how I respond if you act this way, because maybe it'll be different than before. But, you know, mm. that's not always the case. And it certainly can take Ooh. time to build to get to that place. Yeah. I hope that I, people, I hope that people kind of mindfulness is mindfulness has gotten a lot of attention over the last yeah. uh, five, six, maybe well, the last Ten. decade has been a big, uh, yeah. big, years, big yeah. decade for, for mindfulness. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are paying attention to it. Companies, corporations are, are paying big attention to it and how it, how it helps with the, the mental health of employees and everything. It's gotten this, it's, it's gotten a lot of attention and, and my hope for that attention is that it's, it's really capitalized on in terms of not, not being viewed or felt as as a fad, but rather as a but rather as a quality that you practice and adopt into who you are as a person. The yes. same way as somebody might say, "I have a compet I'm competitive," might identify as competitive, um, or athletic, or um, studious, or what what the way that they describe themselves is a quality that is almost inherent to them, like they were almost born with some qualities and that that will never leave them. I hope that mindfulness is, is kind of viewed as once it's practiced and adopted as a habit, as it is sort of, it becomes intertwined with who they are as a person and not something that 
Oh yeah, I remember back in 2015 when I practiced mindfulness for right. uh, six months. You know, that's always the danger. danger. Yeah, mm. I hope it's an evolution of our species. Yes, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, we're becoming more and more um, intellectual, and I think thoughtful. If you look, especially if you look on large scale over time, um, I like to think that we're growing in our capacity to be. Um, more self-aware and intelligent and reflective and hopefully mindfulness is is a result of that um, going forward sick boy podcast we'll be right back after this word from our sponsors porn satan drugs therapy it's not just the list of what i'm up to this weekend i'm comedian kiki anderson and those are just a handful of the taboo topics i've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast indecent the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table. Featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics, they all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Hey listeners, if you like this show, you should check out Unlocking Bryson's Brain from CBC Podcasts. 13-year-old Bryson is a happy, loving boy, but a mysterious disease means he can't walk, talk, or feed himself. After years without a diagnosis, genetic scientists believe they know what's causing Bryson's illness and think it could be reversed. Join Bryson's family on their search for a medical miracle in unlocking Bryson's brain. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. Speaking of of large scale and over time, um, I, I'm really dying to know what your thoughts are, Tim, on uh, as a uh, psychotherapist. Like, what what are your thoughts on how this this global pandemic, how all of this social isolation um, or physical isolation, mm-hmm. at least, um, will like how will that what what will the implications of this be on on our mental health? in the future um you know it's such an unprecedented time like do you what what are your predictions there on how this is going to affect us in the long run well i I don't think i'm ready to predict but (laughs) what i could hope for or what i pray for is that it's like a gap where people will take stock and look at what's what are our priorities you know Mm. is it economics is that mm-hmm. our priority you know fossil fuels is that our priority or or is it our relationships and our loved ones and staying healthy and uh you know and looking after ourselves and realizing that this time at home is actually such an incredible opportunity mm. i mean for those of us that have been on meditation retreats it I, we're just so grateful to have to take two weeks or a month and just stop your activity and your busyness and the sort of ego-driven accomplishment uh, rut just to drop that completely and focus on cultivating mindfulness and awareness and insight and wisdom and compassion Mm. and so having that opportunity that's one of the things that when I was at university, I was so <laughs> compelled by reading Chinese philosophy and seeing that there was these Chinese philosophers who would write some text and then there would be big, big shots in the government 
And then at a certain point, they'd say, this isn't working for me anymore. And they'd go into the mountains for three years, and they'd just go into a deep meditation retreat. And then they'd come back and write a new text, and then they'd be engaged. In, and that kind of back and forth, I think, is necessary. And you used the word a moment ago, evolution. But I, I go along with what Ken Wilber, the new age philosopher says is that really for human beings to evolve at this stage of, of humanity we need to meditate we need to have a contemplative life we need to engage in some kind of self-reflective process because if we don't our brains are, we're default to the kind of uh, the way our brains evolved <coughs> and we have the the fight-or-flight system the sympathetic nervous system and that's responsible for PTSD and for anxiety and all of that. And I find that if I can just simply teach people that you have this brain that's structured in this way, and now you have to learn how to self-regulate. You have to learn how to work with what you've been given through evolution. You know, that you have the, the dinosaur brain or the lizard brain, and then you have the limbic system, and then you have the, the neocortex and the frontal lobe. But through mindfulness and... and uh, interoception we're paying attention to our body and as we pay attention to the body we're actually making neurological links between the different evolutionary stages of our brain and really that's what my teacher talked a lot about was integrating body and mind is the very first step on the meditation path of really learning how to take the animal part of our being which includes our emotions and intense aggression and intense passion and intense fear and learning how to observe that so like the the metaphor of riding a horse if you have a wild horse and it just takes off but if you learn how to become one with the horse and the horse is listening to you and you're listening to the horse then that's like listening to your body and knowing how to self-regulate your nervous system mm -hmm. and when people know how to do that then you can go on the higher stages of spiritual development but really, the first stage is just to integrate your emotional and your energy body. Hmm. Uh, you, uh, I know that you were hoping to lead us through a, a five-minute guided meditation. Um, I would absolutely love that right now. Um, mm -hmm. um, and I know that uh, some of our listeners that are currently listening right now would probably really appreciate that too. Um, so if you if you would like to, uh, the the floor is yours. Okay. Well, I, one thing is I may not be able to keep it to five. <laughs> you keep it to whatever okay. you keep it to whatever works for yeah, you. I think that yeah. uh, it can be. I'm on this ride. Yeah, I've found that working over the years in the the Healing and Cancer Foundation, and also in my counseling practice, something that now science is showing, and and Kristen Neff has the website self-compassion.org I feel that self-compassion and learning to love yourself is so essential to people's journey because there's so much anxiety that comes from just not accepting ourselves exactly as we are so I have developed this meditation that I call unconditional love meditation and it's also it was introduced to me by a person named Toku Tundrup in Boston so we'll just begin with a simple basic mindfulness and then we'll move into a visualization. So if you uh, can take your seat and find a good posture that works for you. 
And part of that is connecting with the earth. The really acknowledging and having a consistent mindful attention to your body resting on the earth. So the weight of your body, the pressure in your bum or on your feet. Just paying attention to that. When we pay attention to that, we're grounding our emotional energy with the power of Mother Earth. And with that sense of being grounded on the earth, we also begin to pay attention to the breath. Just noticing your breath as it is. And with the breath, just as we are on the earth, we are breathing in the sky, that open, infinite space. In all traditions, your breath is associated with spirit. So we can simply be grateful that we're alive and breathing. Paying attention to breath, we're tuning into our energy, the life force in our body. You're alive. What is that subtle experience of knowing that you're alive right here, right now? Then we notice the mind, which is our awareness. And also within that, there are thoughts that come up. The internal experience of your conceptualization. And we don't need to be aggressive towards our thoughts or try to get rid of them. Just simply accept that that's a part of being human. But we can train ourselves not to fixate, not to get lost in our thinking. So when you notice that you're actually no longer in your body, on the earth, paying attention to the breath, simply bring yourself back to body and breath and let go of the thinking. Thoughts will come and go. Not a problem. But when we get lost in thinking and we merge our consciousness with our thoughts, we're no longer present. When that happens, we just wake up and gently come back. No judgment. On the earth, breathing, And thoughts come and go. Being present. And all meditations fundamentally about being present.
having established this basic mindfulness, whenever we do a visualization, we begin with basic mindfulness, letting go, being present, and we'll also end with that. So I say we sandwich the contemplation or the visualization with basic mindfulness. Now, if your eyes have been open, I can invite you to close your eyes if that's comfortable. And we'll use the imagery of a tree. Feel as if your lower body from the pelvis down are like the roots of a tree. Go deep into the earth, drawing nourishment, creating great stability and security. deep roots, mindfully conscious of your connection to the earth. And from the pelvis, upwards the spine, the torso, is like the trunk of the tree. Feel it tall and straight and strong. Energies moving up and down. And then Above your shoulders, your head and your shoulders, is a wide open vast sky. And that wide open sky represents an infinite field of possibilities. Infinite creativity. Infinite possibilities of evolving. We can Join earth and sky, heaven and earth, in our very own body in this moment. The leaves of your tree are open to the air and the freshness, the wind, and also to the sun. In that open sky is a radiant, strong, beautiful, warm, golden sun pouring down, and you can feel it on your forehead, on your throat, on your chest, in your belly, just as if you're out on a warm day. And the leaves of your tree are absorbing that energy through photosynthesis, creating life. You're being fed by the sun. And the sun represents, in this meditation, unconditional love. In that wide open sky of infinite possibilities, there's also an incredible energy of compassion and love. And this unconditional love, just as the sun indiscriminately pours down on the earth, bringing all the energy the earth has ever known, Just so, that energy is pouring into you. You don't have to do anything to deserve it. You can receive it for free. And in your mindful contemplation, pay attention. Can you allow that to pour into you? Unconditional love is pouring down on you. That sun is like 
the eyes of a mother looking at her newborn child. An infinite source of unconditional love is pouring into you. And just notice if you can open and receive or are there obstacles? Is there a tendency to think you don't deserve it? To turn away? To block it? You're mindfully paying attention to your ability to open and receive this infinite source of unconditional love. It has always been available. It will always be available. It is there forever. All you need to do is open and receive. Let it nourish you. Let it fulfill you. Know that you are deeply loved. And as you work with receiving that infinite warmth, compassion and love from the sun in the sky, you begin to feel in your heart as if there's a mirror in your heart and it's reflecting that. Then you realize with deeper reflection it's not a mirror. It is an identical infinite source of unconditional love that has always been there and will always be there. Deep within the wellspring of your good human heart is this source of love and compassion that flows out indiscriminately. An infinite source of love. And you can receive it from on high and you can send it out from your own heart. And as you send it from your heart, you feel it expanding out of every hair pore of your body. And you can think of your loved ones, maybe those that you can see during this time or those that you can't see, those who are distant, even those who have died, no longer with us. That circle of your loved ones, your friends, those who are you're close to, give them that radiance from your own heart. Know that it flows from you freely. All you need to do is let go and let it flow out. It's already there. You receive from the sun in the sky you send out from your own love in your heart. And you can go beyond those that you're familiar with to those you've never met, strangers. And beyond that, to even to those who cause you grief or sorrow or anger. Can we extend our unconditional love to those that we disagree with, those who we think are causing problems, those that we normally judge? 
practicing unconditional love. It goes out further and further to all beings everywhere, without limit. The sun in the sky, you visualize it touches everyone everywhere. Likewise, the sun in your heart reaches to everyone everywhere. And especially to yourself. As if to say, I love and accept myself just as I am. You don't have to accomplish anything. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do anything to deserve it. It comes for free. And it's always available. And from there, you can achieve and accomplish. But not from a place of having to do it to prove something. With that radiance, just feel that glow. And then when you're ready, you can let go of the visualization. Simply rest again, body on the earth. Mindful of each breath. Paying attention to the way our mind secretes thoughts the same way your mouth secretes saliva when you think of food. Thoughts come and go, but we don't need to cling to them or believe them or fixate on them. They're just passing clouds in the open sky. Good, thank you. We can come back now. Thank you, Tim. You're welcome. Uh, that was very much needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. <clears throat> Excuse me, thank you so much. <laughs> um. <laughs> Any questions? Mm. No. It does no. change the energy, doesn't it? You can feel a change. Mm. And when we're in the midst of this grieving, what this shooter and pyromaniac has done, and in the middle of our isolation with people dying in the hospital and the healthcare workers, you know, sacrificing their very life to benefit us. I think it's really helpful to, to have something like that to do, to come back to. I agree. To have, yeah. have a place to come home to. We always, it's always available, but we actually have to take the time and the effort to carve out a, a space for ourselves where we can feel good and tune into something that's much, much deeper and, and vaster than, you know, the problems. Mm-hmm. I'm really grateful that you just carved out that space for us. Yeah, that's really helpful. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, thank you too. so much, Tim. Uh, that's uh, um, definitely speaking for the three of us, speaking for all of, all, all of our listeners. That was uh, that was an incredible conversation. Um, we learned 
we learned uh, a lot from speaking with you and um and i think this will be this will be really helpful for a lot of people good good thank you for for taking the time today tim yeah it means a lot my pleasure yeah you guys keep doing the good work you're doing For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.